Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week's book is Before I Go to Sleep by S.J. Watson. Uh, Watson lives in London and uh, for a long time worked for the National Health Service. In 2009, he was accepted into the first Faber Academy Writing a Novel course, a rigorous and selective program that covers all aspects of the novel writing process. And Before I Go to Sleep is what came out of that. It is his first novel. A little bit about the story. Uh, first of all, I want to give kind of a disclaimer for this episode. Uh, with a book like this, uh, it's nearly impossible for us to really tell listeners about much of the story without spoiling it. And it's definitely the type of story that works best and is most satisfying if you don't know what's coming. So um, while we will be commenting a bit about you know, parts of the book and stuff like that, it's going to be spoiler-free as possible, so we'll probably be spending more time talking about discussion of the type of story and elements of the book and not so much on what actually happens. That being said, I have a brief description that we pulled from Goodreads. It's, uh, it's, it really wraps up, it really sums up the story well. As I sleep, my mind will erase everything I did today. I will wake up tomorrow as I did this morning, thinking I'm still a child, thinking I have a whole lifetime of choices ahead of me. That's a quote from the main character, Christine. And then it goes on to say, Memories define us, so what if you lost yours every time you went to sleep? Your name, your identity, your past, even the people you love, all forgotten overnight. And the one person you trust may only be telling you half the story. Welcome to Christine's life. Our protagonist, Christine, is in her late 40s and wakes up every morning with no memory of anything that's happened in the last 20 to 30 years. And she has to uh, be reintroduced to life every day by her husband, Ben. Yeah, early on in the book, so this isn't much of a spoiler, Christine, the main character, is advised by her doctor to keep a journal of the things that happen on a daily basis, and that way she can look at it and understand what's what's happened on the days before, and kind of, ho- it's, a, it's a tool he's hoping will help her to rebuild her memory that she loses constantly. About 80% of the story is told via this diary or journal that she keeps. So every day when she stumbles across the journal, she has to kind of read it, catch up to where she's at, and we get her thoughts that can vary from day to day about the things she's read um, from her journal. We're also kind of kept in suspense along with her because she's not really sure how much of what she's written is true. And that's kind of where the interesting part is. Um, There's... I think it's even in the the synopses that you read. Uh, there's at one point she wakes up, she looks at this journal, and in the front of the journal it says, "Don't trust Ben." Ben being her husband, it kind of freaks her out because uh, she's only got this written record saying, "Don't trust your husband," and um, so she's got to kind of try and piece together what had happened to her to cause her to be in this state, and then also at the same time not trusting anybody and all and knowing that she's only got that waking period of time. Uh, to to do it and hoping that her journal will help her along the way so it's really suspenseful and like Livia said it's really cool the way that uh, uh, that you as the reader are in the exact same position as Christine because all you're seeing is that journal entry for that time period that she's seeing and so um, we only know as much as she does and we're trying to speculate about uh, what's going to happen and who did what and stuff like that so it's pretty it's 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 good at being suspenseful in keeping with what Rob said a little earlier, that's probably about all we're going to talk about regarding the actual storyline itself. Not a lot of characters. There are really 
three main characters and one or two peripheral characters that appear in the story. Um, again, we mentioned Ben, the husband, uh, Dr. Nash, the doctor, and then later there's a friend of Christine's that comes up. Other than that, it's a very small cast of characters, considerably less than some of the books we've read. With that small of a cast of characters, it's really easy to develop all three of them um, into something, and I think Watson did a very good job with that. Yeah, that's true. And in a story where you've got so few characters and you're restricted to just seeing only what you know, what your main character is seeing, it I don't want to say forces, but you're in a position where you really focus on each character and you, you spend a lot of time analyzing them. You, you get a lot of more analytical time than you would in a typical book that's uh, faster paced or has a lot more going on. So, uh, and that's, I mean, the way it's written, Watson did a great job of of getting you into that mindset of analytical and then trying to solve the mystery of what happened and what's going to happen and who's who did what and everything like that. So um, all the elements just fit together really well for a, a nice whodunit kind of story. Sure. Where you usually, in any first-person story, see it through the eyes of, of the protagonist. But in this one... It's like she's developing and learning about herself while you're learning about her, which makes it far more interesting and, and really, really tied me to this main character as it would, I'm sure, anybody who reads it. It's just you feel very, very close to her because you are learning her while she's learning her, if that makes sense. Without spoiling it, I'm going to say that uh, I liked the way that the story went and I was satisfied with the ending. I think that it was a nice balance between you could see what was coming, but you didn't really know the whole picture. So the reveal was nice. There was a nice twist and everything like that. Um, not disappointing at all. I thought it was really well tied up in the end. And, uh, and um, yeah, the ending was pretty satisfying. Yeah. And Watson does a very good job of keeping this. This is, this is a real page turner. It's, he manages to, through this diary constantly want you to see what the next bit brings um and it's almost always done in retrospect it's when christine can get to her diary to read so it's even though it's first person we don't see it exactly as it's happening it's her recounting it and it manages to be told in such a way that it becomes a very page turning type story so kudos to him for being able to give us a quite the page turner in his first um, full-length novel effort um, one other note that I'd like to make is, and this is something that's kind of a, been a pet peeve of mine for years, but it's very hard for authors, in my opinion, from reading them. I don't know how hard it is for them to do when they're writing, but to write cross-gendered. S.J. Watson is writing this in a woman's voice, and he is really, really locked into it. I don't feel there's many authors that can do it very well, either a female author writing the from a male point of view or vice versa, but Watson has absolutely nailed it on this one. It, had I have not known that he was a, a, a male writing this book, I would have assumed it was it was a female and it never once would have doubted it throughout the course of the 380 pages or whatever it clocks in at. Yes, absolutely. Throughout the book, there's definitely many instances of, um, uh, without to be spoiler free, I'm only going to say very female moments that are, you know, emotionally charged or, or, or you know, something that can only be experienced from a woman. And, and the perspective that he gives felt very authentic. So... 
I was very impressed throughout the book uh, with the consistency of how well he wrote the female character. Uh, it's too bad that we didn't have a woman guest host for this episode to tell us if we are full of it or not. But um, uh, at least from my perspective, yeah, I think that he wrote very convincingly from a female perspective, but also the male characters came across uh, as just as well uh, in, in a, as, a, as a male character. So he wrote both genders, I think, very well. It's really tough to do the reviews on. It's like the most interesting books are the hardest to talk about because, again, we want you guys to have the same experience in watching the story unfold as, as we did. So I don't think we're going to spend very much more time talking about before I go to sleep. I want to, you know, I'm going to sing its praises a little bit here again. This is um, Mr. Watson's first effort, as I mentioned at the top of the show. This was what came out of him in attending an intensive writing program um, over in England. And uh, what a fantastic job. I got to tell you, if I could sign up for that, uh, I think I would have to after seeing what uh, what that program yielded for him. So, yeah, uh, we are restricted in what we can talk about. But, I mean, that's kind of the nature of a story that involves someone who has lost memory and is trying to piece together what's happened or who they are or something like that. It's, it's tough to talk about in a spoiler-free book review, but very fascinating to read, very fascinating to talk about. Um, and Olivia and I were talking about all the different types of other things that we've read or watched that uh, before I go to sleep brought to mind. And so I thought it'd be nice if we just talked about some of those stories and similarities or other things that we had thoughts about on stuff that we can spoil for you because it's not what we're reviewing. That theme obviously isn't just um, kept to books and, and the written word. Um, there are a lot of movies and the one that it kept bringing to mind and I say this almost in jest only because it, the person in the, the movie had the same, the exact same affliction that Christine had 50 first dates with Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. Um, Drew Barrymore's character would go to sleep at night and wake up the next morning and remember nothing before the day of the car accident that she was in that, that caused that to happen. So that's one of them that came right to mind. Um, again, specifically for the fact that it was very, very similar in, um, in the scope of the injury. One thing that jumped right to mind was the movie Memento for me. And the initial thing that tagged into my memory was in her journal, Christine finds the words, uh, don't trust Ben. And that immediately, for me, reminded me of in the movie Memento, where, uh, I don't know, for people that haven't watched it, he's a guy who, again, has a very similar thing where his memory he has no short-term memory, so he keeps losing things. And so one of the ways that he remembers things is he'll take pictures of people and then write information about them. So if he sees them, he can look and find their picture and know something about them. And uh, there was this pair of people, two characters in the movie, and on the picture that he wrote, he wrote, don't trust their lies. So immediately, bam, that came to mind. And uh, Memento is a Christopher Nolan movie that was very, very, I think, very wonderfully done based on his brother's short story. His brother Jonathan wrote a short story called Memento Mori that we uh, we recently kind of took a look at, too, in the whole memory theme. Yeah, I read it for the first time. I honestly, even being a fan of the movie Memento, wasn't aware that it was based on a short story. It's easily available online if you Google Memento Mori and uh, Jonathan Nolan. Uh, you'll find it. It's the second, I think, Google search result actually has the um, the entire story there. I think I read it in about 10 minutes on uh, on a lunch break from work. 
really, really great story and a very nice setup, especially if you have seen Memento, to go back to see where it came from and what that short story turned into if you're a fan of the movie. So kudos to Mr. Nolan for, for that little bit of fiction. Yeah, the Memento Mori story had an interesting twist where um, there was almost kind of a... Half of it was kind of narrated as if he were talking to himself, as if a non-afflicted person were talking to his memory uh, afflicted uh, a self and almost pushing him to get revenge for something that happened to him. So it was a lot more twisted, obviously, than before I go to sleep. But um, in the short span, it's probably, you know, 1,500 words, very small. He really... I could see why Christopher Nolan would want to adapt it into a movie because there was just so much potential there to really develop it out. So, pretty cool story. And then there's other more lighthearted ones, like uh, we had made a note that Groundhog Day had a similar thing because, I mean, while he's not losing his memory, he's waking up every day and having this kind of repetitive thing. And that's kind of the the feeling with uh, Christine every morning. She wakes up, and um, because she has a husband who they sleep in the same bed, every morning she goes to this, like, like flash of terror where she's like, who is this person I'm with? And he has to try and calmly explain to her uh, what's going on and why she doesn't remember and things like that so just that idea of waking up and having that same kind of thing happen every morning uh just brought to mind groundhog day which uh bill murray i think did a wonderful job and it was a pretty funny movie yeah and you mentioned her morning routine it also brought to mind from the book just how well um how well watson had written just her dealing with with her being 20 plus years older than she expects to be every time she looks in the mirror and i thought he did a very good job of getting inside the psyche of of somebody who you know has to wake up one morning and be 20 years older than they expect yeah and he kept it fresh you would think that with such repetition it would get boring but um I, realistically i think I, I don't think she had the same reaction every day and i don't think she would so it's great that he did such a good job of um keeping it realistic and interesting even though it's a tough thing to do i think to keep someone interested in the same thing happening over and over again and then add to that list um from the book side dermaphoria by craig clevenger deals with issues of memory loss as well and is uh, again considerably apparently everything we like is considerably darker than what we just read <laughs> it's considerably darker than than before i go to sleep but uh, another great read in the memory loss um, stories definitely one of the best written books i've read in long long time agreed it's hard to go wrong with uh with craig clevenger's work i think maybe we could move to actually wrapping up our review now that we've talked about six other books <laughs> sure why don't you go first all in all a uh, tight very well written story subject matter that's hard i would imagine for a writer to keep straight in what he can write about with this person's memory, what they've learned, what they haven't learned, probably a lot more complex than it comes across when you're reading it, when you really sit down to think about it. It's his first full-length novel. Um, I did read an interview with him. He had was working on a novel before he entered this course, and he had trashed that novel and started this clean for his course. I think he did a fantastic job. Again, he found a voice for a character that was trying to find herself and uh, took us along on a ride with her that I think was very, very good. It's not typically the type of book I really enjoy, which um, gets it a little extra kudos from me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it four stars. It's a great book. Okay, here's my thoughts on the book. S.J. Watson took uh, a concept that's it's it's a path that's well-worn. People have done the memory loss thing before, and um, immediately there's this threat of 
being unoriginal or just, you know, uh, not giving your story enough of an individual voice to, to set itself apart from everything else. Uh, but he did that very well. The characters, very well developed. The story kept me... It's a page-turner. It's a page-turning book. I, I had to stop myself from continuing to read it. I would have read it all in one sitting, um, but I actually had to make myself go do other things so that I, I, I could draw it out a little more. Like I said earlier, the the ending and the twists and everything and the whole whodunit aspect was done very well. I thought it was tied up in the end in a way that was very satisfying. And yeah, that's really much it. It's a well-written book for a, for a first novel. I think it's a very, very strong effort. And all in all, I gave it a three. Three, of course, meaning I liked it. Uh, it's not my the typical type of book I read, but um, I, it's very well written and compelling, and it's a page turner, and I liked it, so I'm giving it three stars. And I just want to say, who would like this book? Uh, definitely fans of psychological thrillers. Anyone looking for something a little different, it's definitely a very unique book. It's easy enough that it could be you know, a light read, like a beach read, and um, definitely, I would definitely suggest it as a book club discussion type of book because it's just, um, we can't do it justice on a spoiler-free podcast, but Livius and I could talk about this book. I mean, while it was going on, while we were reading, we were texting each other and calling each other and talking about it and saying, what do you think was this? What do you think of that? So definitely any kind of book that you're going to be discussing at great length, it would be great for those types of people as well. Agreed. If you would like a taste of the book, there are excerpts and chapters available on Facebook. I don't know if this is done um, directly by him or likely through his publishing company. But the more people that like the Facebook page, the more of the book gets released on Facebook. And if and when they hit 100,000 likes, they will make the full book available on Facebook for two weeks, which is pretty cool. And you know, speaking of success for a first novel, this is now in the process of being available in 30 languages. So this is going to be worldwide. Um, I think it was on Amazon. It was in number 35, I think, or number 40 in books. When I looked earlier today, number five in thriller. So, I mean, this book is, uh, is moving up the bestseller list pretty quickly. It's only been out for by the time you guys are hearing this 11 days. And Watson is currently working on a second novel, but he's not really seeing any details at this time. So Rob, anything you want to plug this week? Yeah, actually, kind of in keeping with the uh, stories that have an element of someone who's lost their memory, I just want to go into something that I didn't talk about earlier because I knew I was going to go into it in a little more detail right now. And that book is The Raw Shark Texts by Stephen Hall. The reason I kind of want to go into it in just a little more detail is because we've mentioned it in passing so many times on previous episodes. Uh, This is a good opportunity. It kind of ties into what we're talking about where we could just give it kind of more of its due and have all of our thoughts in one place about the book so that we don't have to keep bringing it up a little bit at a time on like every episode. So we can always just uh, refer back to it and say RST and, and then people who have read the, or listened to this episode will know what we're talking about. Might I just say, and I'll let you run on with your, with your shout out, but um, excellent choice. <laughs> the Raw Shark Text is a very complicated Thing to explain. So before I even start talking about the story and what's it about, I just want to explain um, how futile it would be to try and sum up the book or even the culture surrounding the book 
or any of the intricacies and concepts that are introduced in the book. It's very deep uh, and it's very, very fun to talk about. It's got a community of enthusiasts and people that have read it and really loved it that discuss it even after four years that it's been released now. It was originally released in 2007. Um, and Stephen Hall himself on Twitter and uh, in various different ways on his forums and his website and stuff will drop little thoughts, information, and stuff about the book. So uh, he is just as involved in the in the ongoing conversation of the book, too. So my thought about it is it's the type of book that just doesn't go away after its release. You know, a bunch of people read it, and then it kind of just fades. It, it was released, and now it's kind of come alive, and it's something that I think that will just consistently be discussed because of how fascinating and original it is. Yeah, th- this is a book that doesn't stop at being a book. You can certainly read it um, as a novel straight through, but there are other portions um, that I'm sure Rob is going to touch on uh, that are available outside the book that are just as much part of the story as the book itself. I mean, it's really fascinating in the way that Hall um, set it up and, and presented it to the world. For sure. Now, again, before I get to telling you what the story is about, if you haven't read it yet, there's a couple things, some basic ideas. Um, they're the things that you're asked to believe in in order for the story to work for you like every author has one thing or another that you know you're just it's a leap of faith almost but the things that hall introduces um the concepts he introduces in a book that are important throughout the book uh play a very important role one of them is what's called unspace which is the unvisited uh, unnamed uninhabited empty areas beneath the normally used parts of the urban landscape you might think that i'm very good at writing or or speaking but i I cribbed that directly from Wikipedia, so I'm not taking credit for that. (laughs) It's very, very honest of you. (laughs) So Unspace, uh, I'm trying to think of what to say about Unspace, Livius. I I think Unspace is just the the forgotten places, and I think that, you know, he actually references, it's not just places, I think it's part of us, Unspace, it's that emptiness that we have that we've forgotten about, I think is kind of along the lines of, it's everything that isn't, inhabited in our everyday existence if it's you know structural or even physical or mental yeah and um it plays kind of a bigger part in this as as uh, i'll explain later on there's a there's a group called the unspace exploration committee and they're the people that that help the main character a lot in the book and so the idea of unspace is is addressed and and used quite frequently and um so yeah i think i'll just cut it off and talk about that a little bit more later on Uh, The other thing that I find very, very fascinating that he uses very heavily throughout the book is the idea of conceptual fish, but just the idea of of an interaction between concepts and reality. I'm going to go in a little bit about conceptual fish, and then we'll talk about the ideas of these interactions of concept and reality later. One of the main parts of the book is... (laughs) It's always a lot of this stuff. A lot of this book is very difficult to explain, but one of the main parts of the book is a conceptual shark that's called the Ludovician. The story behind it is it's this shark that feeds. It's a conceptual fish, and it feeds on your memories. So if it attacks you, it takes your memories, and that's what feeds it. And once it's um, once it's actually attacked someone, it will relentlessly pursue them until it's fed on you as much as it can. The way that Hall explains conceptual fish and stuff he introduces it in a very interesting way there's a scene that he paints where he he tells you to imagine that you're in a boat on a lake and then he goes into this really really beautifully written description of this scene and he ties it in with this idea of 
uh, really what you're seeing is the the lake in his mind and now the lake in his mind is in your mind and and all this and it's so well written that it makes it easier to understand the things like the ludovision and stuff that are that would otherwise be pretty difficult to to grasp and the book uh, also refers to an entire encyclopedia of unusual fish that has many other examples of these conceptual fish and animals and stuff like that so those are two major concepts to the book that play a part throughout that it's it's difficult to just jump in and tell you about the story without you understanding all right so that kind of just to clear up what that kind of long explanation there was is um if you don't say that the short description is there's a shark that eats your thoughts and it sounds kind of crazy but it's (laughs) written well it's written in such a way that again like you said it, it's no different than you know in order to to enjoy star wars you have to believe in wookies it's kind of the same thing you just have to buy into this but it's written so well that even at, at my you know my first of you know three or four reads now of it was described so well that i really didn't have any trouble with the concept but yeah this is definitely it's not your uh it, it definitely requires some suspension of disbelief to get into the story but once you're in it you're buying it all the way to the end so now to tell you a little bit about the story without spoiling it, uh, the main character, Eric Sanderson, awakens to discover that he's lost some memories. He, in the beginning of the book, has contact with a therapist named Dr. Randall, who explains to him that he is kind of in a dissociative, like, fugue state uh, from a traumatic accident while he was on vacation in Greece. He lost his girlfriend, Cleo, and that caused him to have this dissociative I guess, break or whatever you'd want to call it. However, right off the bat, he is receiving a series of letters and uh, notes around his house and stuff like that uh, and and other things as well that explain uh, the situation differently. And it's from someone that calls himself the first Eric Sanderson. So it's stuff that he previously wrote to himself in preparation of something like this happening so the first eric sanderson without going really dully and longly into details basically says uh explains the idea of this ludovician and that he's um on the run from it he was attacked from it and um that's where his memory loss came from and so the the book starts out with eric is on the run from the ludovician pretty much and there's more to it obviously but that's pretty much what i can explain those two concepts that um that you just talked about are two of the most interesting concepts I can, I've come across in a book, you know, ever. Um, I read the book probably, you know, maybe if not four years ago, maybe a little bit after it was out, at least when it was out here in the States. Yeah, two of the coolest concepts, big, you know, big concepts for books. You know, we've talked about, we've reviewed some books that had big concepts, some of them were robot wars, you know. These were huge concepts that they they really get you thinking. And I mean, like I said, this is, you know, I don't want this to turn into a a giant book discussion. Um, But yeah, I mean, talk about a great book to sit around and, and, you know, and dissect with with your friends and other fans of just fantastic fiction. This is the one that you can go on for hours and hours. And that's why the group that you mentioned earlier is still doing it, you know, four years later. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just to get some really quick thoughts about the story in general, because it's easy to get mired in the details of it, but uh, it's essentially a story of loss and the lengths that someone will go to to not lose someone. And yeah, uh, as Livius alluded to earlier, the idea of unspace applies to the book itself. Uh, there's every For every chapter, there's 36 chapters in the book, there's an unchapter. Uh, so there's material that exists outside the book that you can that it was set up in a cool way where some of it you could find on MySpace and other stuff you could find in certain editions of the book. 
uh, in different that was released in different languages or in different countries. So uh, it was possible to collect these 36 unchapters to get more of an insight and more material around this story. Again, I could keep talking about thoughts about the book all day. There's so much stuff discussion could go on for hours, but I want to keep this as brief as possible. The book had a ton of very, very interesting characters that I could go on and on about, but uh, the one that I want to make sure that I get in because it's so fascinating is a character named Mycroft Ward. Uh, Mycroft Ward is a character who lived in the mid-1900s and is a very, very unique story behind him. Uh, without going too deeply into it, the character of Mycroft Ward didn't want to die. He wanted to carry on his existence forever, basically. He figured out a way, more or less, to uh, replicate himself, I guess, into another person. For, uh, so that when his human, you know, physical body died, his memories and his personality and everything would live on in another person. That kind of started this domino effect, almost, of... The next body decided, uh, just to be safe in case an accident happened, it'd probably be better to have two people. And then from there, those two people decided, you know, they just kind of kept spreading it out and spreading it out to the point where, you know, over a century later, this character of Mycroft Ward exists in, you know, hundreds or thousands of people. And then the advent of the internet made it so much easier, like, to to reach more and more people. So it's just this idea of almost a viral consciousness that started out in a very kind of organic way, I guess, and um, just spread out. And so he's this, this larger-than-life entity that um, its almost singular goal is to perpetuate eternally. It's so fascinating. Absolutely. Um, and that, I figured you touch on that, but that's the third huge concept in the book, which is briefly touched on. Stephen Hall has said he's kind of an offstage villain. But that's, I mean, Unspace, fantastic. I, I'd read books on Unspace, but man, that left me, my, my Croft Award le- left me wanting more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very seriously more. <laughs> absolutely. When, uh, it reminds me of when we were talking to Anthony Neal Smith and we, we talked about that Steel God character and, I sa- and you said, why didn't we have more Steel God? If I had the opportunity to talk to Stephen Hall, that would be like the first question that I got. I'd say, why didn't we get more Minecraft Ward? And um, like Livia said, he explained that he's kind of an offstage villain because that's kind of how he works best. And I agree with that. But at the same time, I think that that is exactly what leaves me wanting more. So uh, if you guys ever wanted to know what it was like to hear just Rob do a book review all on his own, I'm pretty sure that's what we just caught there. (laughs) A couple more tidbits about Minecraft Ward because I won't let it. I can't let it go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) In recent some recent and I, when I say recent, I probably mean in the last year or so, uh, chatter on his forum and on Twitter and stuff like that. Stephen Hall is, has made some uh, allusions to his upcoming book, which I think is either tentatively or actually titled Hula Hoop. One tweet that he did uh, not so long ago, he said, his next book is set in either 1854 or 2054. And when I saw 1854, my very first thought was, oh man, I need to see some more Minecraft Ward. <laughs> I spent a little bit of time on his form every now and then but yeah the consensus view is if it was a vote 1854 it would be for just about everybody (laughs) so i'm gonna wrap it up there um if i were to and i think i have on goodreads uh, i've made it a five-star book and yeah it's just it's an incredible read that I, i recommend to anybody i uh my silence has nothing to do with with my dislike of this book i actually turned rob on to the book years ago easily a five-star book probably in my top five of all time and i mean it's a book that really leaves you with some concepts that that come to mind you know years later even if you're not following it religiously you know there are times where 
you catch a you know dark corridor and think unspace or you know the mycroft award idea pops up in your head as you know you're reading something else or you know someone makes a comment so i mean it's definitely a book that stays with you for a very very long time uh, as rob said we mentioned it on the show several times already kind of in passing i think it came up during one of our interlude episodes where we talked about uh, what book you'd recommend to people i believe that was on both of our lists so if you haven't read it yet you know what's wrong with you go out and get a copy Stephen Hall has also mentioned in passing that at some point there might be a complete um, volume that includes the unchapters, and I can tell you that I will be first in line waiting to get that if and when it happens. All right, so if that hasn't sent you rushing to Amazon.com to order a copy of Raw Shark Text yet, uh, please do so after you're done listening to our show. And uh, Rob, tell us what that uh, next book we're reading here on Booked is. The next book we're reading is Dust Devils by Roger Smith. The tagline for the book is, To avenge what he loves, he must become what he hates. <laughs> Our apologies for that. When I was reading that, I just thought we had to have Rob do that in that voice. Here's the, uh, the synopsis for that. Framed for murdering his family, South African journalist Robert Dell's only ally is his oldest enemy, his father, an ex-CIA hitman with one last shot at redemption. Hunting the real killer, father and son take a bloody road trip into the heart of darkness, uncovering a conspiracy reaching to the highest levels of the state. Um, crime fiction, um, highly recommended crime fiction. Uh, came across uh, Dust Devils via Anthony Neil Smith, who is a friend of the show, as you may have heard. Uh, and we're looking forward to reading it. Um, I'm actually going to crack it open starting tomorrow. Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, getting started on that book. A little bit of what's coming up. We're talking to some authors and trying to get a couple more interviews. And we'll be making announcements, as always, on Facebook and Twitter. Here's how to get a hold of us. Uh, You can get us on Twitter, at Booked Podcast. Find us on Facebook and like us. It's facebook.com slash bookedpodcast. You can email us at bookedpodcast at gmail.com. Our website's bookedpodcast.com. And you can find us on iTunes. Rate us. Leave a comment. Anywhere, leave a comment somewhere. Just tell us what we're doing good, what we're doing bad. Um, to get, tell us to kick Olivia's off the show and bring in someone that's better. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna interject and just talk about how great the three author interviews we did um, were and how much fun we had doing them. But Rob went on and on and on about the fifty different ways you can contact us. <laughs> So anyway, yes, I'm very much looking forward to doing some more author interviews. It's a lot of fun. It's great to get a little bit of insight into the, you know, the writing process and you know, the publishing process and all the stuff that goes along with, uh, with writing a novel or even a short story for that matter. And what Livius didn't say, but what we're both thinking is it's nice to have someone on the show that's a little bit more interesting than us and, and uh, take some of the pressure off of us to try and entertain people. Is, do you want to mention how those are always the easiest episodes to edit? <laughs> there are the easiest episodes to edit. I think uh, that just about wraps it up for Booked this week. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. Don't you forget about me.